I'm Alex Breitenbach. I'm Sean Cabrera. And this is the Big Red Hockey Cast, the official podcast of Cornell Big Red Hockey. As always, thanks for listening and check out Big Red Sports Network at Cornell BRSN. That's Cornell BRSN on Instagram to never miss out on any Big Red action. So this week, as sweet as a butter tart, we got associate head coach Ben Sire in today's Sinbin. But first, the weekly recap. Now, full disclosure, it is safe to say this week was an absolute heat stroke in the desert. <laughs> uh, Sean, what happened? Well, let's start on night one. You know, it's it's New Year's Day, New Year's night, I guess. You know, everyone's off of a good mood, I suppose. So what started as a Cornell dominant first period soon turned into an Arizonian sandstorm. A goal by Justin Ertl, assisted by Brendan Locke and Kyle Penny in the first period, was clearly not enough to sit on because eventually ASU got a 3-1 bounce back in the third period. One goal in particular, thanks to a risky gamble that didn't pay off for Joe Howe. It happens to the best, really. And of course, Andrei Fianichka, assisted by Matt Steinberg and, Man- and Max Andreev. He made it 3-2, but an empty net effort only made the game end in a 5-2 loss. And when we're looking at power plays, arguably this was Cornell's least productive power play, really. Again, throughout the whole season. I mean, the struggle continues on the power play. We were 0 for 2 with three shots. That's a ratio of less than two shots uh, per power play, really. Meanwhile, on the other hand, we had a perfect night, another perfect night for the penalty kill as they go one for one with zero shots registered. Of course, Cornell was on the winning side of both faceoffs and shots registered, 33 against the Sun Devils, 31, and 33 against their 28, respectively. And in terms of goaltending, like we mentioned earlier, Joe Howe, by his standard, did not have the best night. He saved 23 of 26 shots for an 885 save percentage, whereas Cole Brady, the Sun Devils goalie, allowed two goals on 33 shots, equivalent to a 939 save percentage. Now, I got to throw it back on to you, Alex. Did we redeem ourselves the following day? Well, Sean, I wish. <laughs> uh, still continued the heat stroke with a 3-2 loss. Night two, January 2nd versus ASU in Tempe, Arizona. Uh, it was still a much better effort going into the second half of the game. Uh, first off, I just want to – the Cornell goals, a, a multi-point weekend for the captain, Brendan Locke, scoring two goals – assisted by Ben Tupker at Jack and Jack Malone in the second period, and then assisted by Travis Mitchell and Ertl at 205, the third period. And they honestly uh, started off the second game against ASU. Like they finished their first, they had a terrible oh, start. Uh, they put them in a three, a three Oh hole by the end of the first period, not the start to the year that Nate McDonald wanted, especially after that, uh, that tragic loss, to Clarkson to close out the 2021 portion of the season. However, um, that being said, he was pulled um, in the first period, but then we got to see Ian Shane, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, so, but on the ASU side, definitely great goal uh, goaltending from Cole Brady. Uh, but first of all, the power play, uh, not a very good showing for the Cornell power play. They went 0 of 1 with only one shot. 
uh, I, I mean, you know, we can go back and forth as to whether this was their worst performance of the season, <laughs> but I, I, you know, that speaks for itself. Anyways, penalty kill, much better showing. Penalty kill is still perfect. Three for three with eight shots, including they killed off a five minute, ma- a controversial five minute yeah. major that shot that saw Jack O'Leary thrown out of the game in the third period, which burned most of their time that they had to get back into the game, which, uh, but that was a great showing from the Cornell penalty kill face-offs still lacking in that department. We, we fell 30 to 22 in favor of ASU shots dead, even at 33 apiece. So definitely a better showing from the offense uh, in this regard. Like I said, we would get to goaltending Nate McDonald again, not his night three goals allowed on seven shots. And he was pulled by the, uh, by the end of the first period. However, Ian Shane in, saved 23 of 23 shots, a complete shutout in his first collegiate game. It's a debutante goalie's dream. And he also debuted this amazing <laughs> new mask. I know we were ragging on him a little bit earlier because, you know, I, I felt like Cornell was doing him dirty. You know, he always had the white mask that he was wearing constantly throughout uh, the season. You know, we see him on the bench. and He's only wearing this white mask, but in Tempe, he debuted this beautiful, beautiful work of art in terms of, of goalie mess. So we didn't win the game, but we definitely won the goalie mask uh, competition. I'll say that. <laughs> uh, so notable performance, like I said, uh, Ian Shane with the with the quote unquote shutout in his first collegiate game. And he actually won ECAC goalie of the week. So good for him on that. And two goals from Brendan Locke, multi-point night. Great way to cap off uh, the the weekend and one of the shining moments of a weekend that was largely lackluster for the Big Red. Um, and the Cornell penalty kill was perfect, although, yeah. honestly, they had to kill off 26 penalty minutes on the weekend. So, obviously, bad penalties, but discipline must prevail in these cases, I think. And uh, some interesting stats that I picked up from this uh, weekend. In particular, it is the first time that Cornell men's hockey has had back-to-back losses since the 2017-2018 season. And it is also the first non-conference losses of the 2021-22 season. We've never gone back-to-back before. And Cornell, with that, Cornell drops to number 14 in the uh, in the USCHO.com national polls. And that is the dagger this weekend, I think. Uh, but still a very, um, uh, not the, uh, a very lackluster start, like we said, not the kind of thing that we were expecting to see uh, for, for the start of the new year. And I have, I'm eating my words, Sean, like you mentioned, <laughs> I, I was, I was worried about this initially when I, when, when I said that, you know, going into this game, I'm like, Oh, you know, ASU is not a team to sleep on, but they're, they're still a, you know, a contender. Lord, I did not think this would happen. So Sean, you know, you got any other analysis in that department or like you said, they were a friend, like, well, rather what you said in the last episode, they were like a frenzy of sharks. Really? They were, yeah, I mean, they yeah. surprised Cornell. It, and it eating my words. Yeah, they they, really they surprised Cornell, and they were they weren't really they were ruthless. I think that's the best way to put oh, it. They were, ruthless. they were ruthless. And again, we we had that debate of which was the worst. I guess which was the worst power play uh, performance of the two games. Oh. I say it's the first one. You say it's the second one. 
I mean, I'm only... either way. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It, it was really not stellar to put it in the no. in the best of terms. To put it very lightly, power play is really not stellar, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure how quite Cornell can fix that. I'm yeah, really not it's quite so sure. It, that is going to be the and and this is I, I'm sure both of our predictions that 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 is going to be the demon that we will have to exercise going forward yeah. because that has been a constant monkey on the shoulder the the lack of production on the power play side yes we have good special teams in terms of the penalty kill Ian Shane was unbelievable yes on, on the penalty kill coming through making amazing saves so much so to the point that the ASU commentators were giving him props and and that you know that that shows that he had an amazing debut uh and he did everything that was required of him, went up and above, uh, up above and beyond his call of duty, uh, did everything that was asked of him. But yes, so just to cap off this uh, this week, not the start to 2022 that we wanted. Now, with that, I'd say let's get right into the sin bid because I've been looking forward to Coach Sire for a while, and we're going to talk. Canadian Canadian food, a lot of Canadian food <laughs> up in this week's podcast. Quite surprising, but, you know, a very, very wonderful conversation. So without further ado, let's just jump right into the sin bin. I got nothing else left on this week. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Thin Bin on this edition of the Big Red Hockey Cast. And today we have a very, very special guest. We are truly humbled to be joined by Coach Ben Sire. How's it going, Coach? Thank you for joining. Oh, it's uh, great. And Happy New Year to you guys there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Happy New Year to you as well. And a a great happy holidays and uh, good morning. It's, you know, 830 in Tempe, Arizona. So uh, you, you had mentioned a little chilly out there. Yeah, it's uh, the sun's up, but I think uh, a few of us got uh, a little bit surprised. Uh, uh, it does get cool. It's a desert climate down here, so the nights are uh, the nights are cool, and the the mornings take a little bit to to get warmed up here. But mid afternoon, it'll be uh, kind of like a nice uh, nice fall day or a nice spring day back home, uh, probably in the the high fifties, uh, maybe low sixties. So uh, nothing to complain about. The sun's out for sure. Oh yeah. For sure, for sure. And now, so let's just jump right in. So yeah. over the weekend, absolutely devastating weekend. I know for us here at Line of Faithful, uh, two heartbreaking losses for the Big Red. Um, what do you think went wrong in, in these games for the Big Red most of all uh, from a coach's standpoint? I know you guys have a very analytical way of thinking about things. So what what's your analysis so far? Yeah, I think that, you know, two completely different games, to be honest with you, obviously the the, the same results, but uh, as coaches and even our team, you know, we try to look internally and see, do we, do we play to our process and do we follow our details to, to uh, give ourselves an opportunity to get the outcome that we're, we're looking for. And, and, and the first game that, that, that we did not do, um, obviously coming off a, a lengthy break um, and, and uh, not skating a ton leading up into the break, um, it, you know, obviously did not help us. Um, and you could see some of that rust in, in the, um, 
you know, the first game. And, and when I mean rust, it's just, you know, staying attention to some of our details being on um, our, our, our systems and, and, and executing our systems and just giving ourselves an opportunity to, uh, to, to, to win. Um, I think, uh, you know, on uh, the second night there on Sunday, uh, much different, obviously uh, not the start that we were, were looking for and spotting them a three goal lead, but we did have our chances um, and, and we played much better. We moved the puck more. Um, we spent less time in our own zone and, and more time in their zone. Um, and uh, uh, so I guess obviously not happy with the outcome, but pleased with the process and how we went about it the second night much more so than, than, than the first. And um, for those that are, that are listening to, if, if, if they didn't see the game, um, it, it's uh, it's certainly a different venue down here too. The, the roof is extremely low. Linus sometimes gets uh, um, kind of known for a, 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 you know, not having a tall ceiling, uh, but th- this is a, a real small rink. Uh, and so it was a bit of an adjustment too, you know, for our guys coming down here. There's certainly a, a home ice advantage um, and then some at, uh, at, at Oceanside. Certainly, certainly. I, I definitely agree with that na- analysis and, and, and definitely that point you bring up about the rink, the announcers were all over that uh, the last yeah. two nights at the games saying the Oceanside, very formidable place to play at. And now, um, so on the road trip, you're halfway through this road trip and I got to say, you know, that may be daunting for some new freshmen and for, you know, the first time they've really, really gone on a cross-country road trip with their college. And and so what can a, a road trip do in terms of building, uh, in, in terms of team building, morale, and, and and stuff like that for a program and for its staff? Yeah. Well, I think it, you spend a lot of time uh, with the group. I mean, it's it's – um, for us this week, it's a little bit different. Typically, when we go on the road, we have a bus that takes us to and from the rink. Uh, we have vans this week, and, and, and coaches are driving the vans and uh, our support staff. And so um, you spend a lot of time uh, in tight areas with uh, um, like smaller groups of guys. So it, it lends for, for different conversation um, and uh, getting to know guys a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, and you alluded to before we got on, the guys have a couple, cause we're not in school right now. We're doing a couple of different activities, um, away from the rink the guys want to play a little top golf. Some guys went to an escape room yesterday. So, you know, trying to get out of the hotel and stay busy, um, you know, in addition to, to, uh, practice and, and, uh, and, and finding time to work out. So it's a, it's all encompassing where guys are together and, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun too. Yeah, I, I, I'll say, I mean, well, I, I had another question about that. Yeah. Do, you guys aren't taking a bus to North Dakota, are you? Or you guys are flying, right? We, we are. So we'll, we'll, we'll take a bus here uh, tomorrow, get us to Tempe. We're, we're real close to the airport here. Um, this is my first trip down here. I didn't realize everything is, is so close here. So the, the Phoenix airport, Phoenix and Tempe are obviously side by side. I mean, the, the, the airplanes are flying over our hotel on it. Well, I think we're in a, a landing, uh, a landing path here for them, but uh, um, so we'll take an, a, a, a bus there tomorrow after we practice, then we'll fly uh fly up uh, north to Fargo and, and then, and then busting the Grand Forks, which is only about an hour or so. I'm yeah. still trying to wrap my head around the fact that Arizona can get colder than 70 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, st- I'm still trying to wrap my head around that. So I mean, yeah. I guess, yeah. I guess that'll be a change of pace when you go to North Dakota. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, 100%. I think it's uh, I think it's in the negatives up there right now, or it was the last yeah. time I checked. So it's uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 going to be a little bit of an adjustment for uh, <laughs> for the guys. Yeah, no question, and the coaches for that matter too. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. although the team had some difficulties on the power play, coach defensively, the Big Red shut out ASU on the PK. So we would like to ask what factors would you contribute or attribute to the big reds continued success on the PK this season? Well, we, we certainly, we've, we spent a lot of time working on it um, in practice. Um, we spent a lot of time watching video uh, on it um, in, in, but ultimately I, I would say we have a lot of buy-in from our guys um, when you have to be very intelligent um, you know, to, to make different reads. There's a lot of hockey sense that's involved in the penalty kill. And we have a lot of guys that are very, you know, are very good at that. But the most important thing, I think there's got to be a willingness because it's, there's a lot of dirty work in, involved in, in killing a penalty from blocking shots to, you know, throwing sticks in lane. And, and, it, and it's, and it can be kind of ugly at times, you know, at times to break, break things up and, and, and to get your, your clears all the way down or your icing all the way down. So um, I, I give our guys a lot of credit because um, they get excited about it, the entire bench. And, and you can hear it when our guys block a shot, um, you hear guys, you know, I, I don't want to use the word screaming because that, that makes it sound like panic. It's not screaming, <laughs> but it's, it's alerting the guys when they're off the one time, you know, and, and guys are shooters, you know, or they give you a slightly different look, like there's an energy on the bench um, that was there all weekend long. Um, Cause they gave us a couple different looks that we hadn't seen on video. And uh, so there was great energy and I give our guys a lot of credit because they just have a flat out willingness to, to block and eat shots. And uh, that's a, a trait of a, in a, a detail of a great penalty killer. Steinberg had himself a game with the with the uh, in the realm of block shots in that regard, man. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, he did. And then, so you were quoted during this weekend's pregame as saying, "You need your butter with your bread." First of all, did you say that? I I don't that 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 I'm not sure where that came from. Was that Shaner messing around here? I, I don't, uh, yes, I'll be honest. Shaner's been kind of our our guy with the go to stuff. Yeah, I I got a few sayings, but I think that was uh that that's a little more him trying to fabricate something. More more of my sayings kind of come off uh, uh you you know come uh come a little bit more uh, um sporadic sometimes and they're not well rehearsed. I think that actually came from, he did bail me out. We, we, uh, Shaner, Shaner gets all our meals and he's done a fantastic job this trip. However, the one day we didn't have, uh, we didn't have butter for our bun. So, uh, I just kind of whispered into his ears. I'm like, Shaner, am I missing this year? Like, is there, is there butter sitting around here? And, uh, he looked at me and he uh, kind of gave me that look, like, leave me alone. Next thing I know, he, he brought over a couple packs of butter. So I was able to butter my buns. And uh, uh, I, uh, I I do appreciate that, Shaner. So, but uh, I think that's him fabricating that a little bit. Okay. Well, then what was the pregame wisdom from your end to impart on the boys? Like, you know, every game you go into with a clear head, what, uh, what did you say to the boys before – um, this series against Arizona. Yeah. 
Well, I think, you know, typically what we do just to give a little bit of insight, try to keep, keep things to two or three things. You know, I, I work a lot with the defensemen. And so, you know, we try to give guys two or three things to really focus in on because they get a, a pre-scout and they know the, the tendencies, but try to give guys, you know, a couple things that they can really, really focus in on. And, and uh, you know, so for the D in particular, we wanted to make sure um, that we were staying on our detail. We're, we're a group where we work together. Um, and, and when I talk about details, it's little things like talking, supporting each other, getting back hard. Um, so that there's always two guys to retrieve pucks and exit the zone. That's what we wanted to do. Um, the second thing is we wanted to do a good job around the net front because um, they're very good at, 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 at scoring scrambly goals or second opportunities or third opportunities. And, and then the, the, the second night was, was certainly uh, we wanted to move pucks coming out of our zone much, much better than we did, uh, did the first night. So those were kind of the three things that we were looking at, you know, from, from the back end and, and, and up front. Uh, um, I, I know coach Schaefer, coach Mitch, uh, were on the road trip, coach Flanagan's out on the road uh, currently right now, but uh, they were talking about, uh, you know, generating ozone time and, and being able to bring pucks themselves to the net players, bringing pucks to the net themselves here. Um, so we could attack the, the Arizona defenseman from, from underneath. Right. Well, I suppose shifting the focus more onto your storied career specifically, you've worked with the defensive core primarily, but have you always coached defense? You know, it's funny. I, I, I have. I, um, I was a forward uh, when I played, um, but just the way that uh, um, it's worked, I've always I've always worked with uh, with the D. My, my kids, my own <laughs> yeah. kids think it's actually kind of funny they think I was a defenseman and they, they turned into defensemen and their youth stuff. Uh, I'm like, guys, I, I did play forward, you know, it's okay if you, if you want to play forward, but um, <laughs> it's uh, it's just kind of the way that it's worked out. I've really enjoyed it. Um, uh, obviously I've been doing this for a few years now and, um, and I think coaching is, is, is teaching and, and you pick up on different pointers. I've had a chance to, um, spend time not only with the, the staffs that I've worked with that, that have been tremendous, but, you know, go to, you know, um, different programs, uh, different camps, had a chance to go down to the Washington Capital Development Camp a couple of years ago and work with their staff a little bit and um, have some friends in pro hockey that rely on some different tips that we're able to um, kind of pass along to our guys that once they graduate Cornell and move on to pros, that hopefully we're giving them some preparation and some, some real keys that, that, that'll help them with their career um, and, and establishing a career at, at Cornell. But then, you know, once they leave and go on to play pro hockey, give them some, some opportunities some things that they'll be able to take with them to help in that adjustment. On that note, do you believe that your offensive career as a forward, do you believe that gave sort of an insight uh, coaching the defensive end? Like for example, no one could have foresight of a forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's some of that. I think it depends how you, you look at the game. I think sometimes uh, when you've played this certain position, it certainly gives you great insight on some of the smaller, smaller details. Um, but I think it also, you, you're able to, to your point, Sean, is I think you, you're able to look at um, things from a different kind of perspective as what a forward would do what in, and, and try to impart that with a defense. Because I think a lot of times players look at, 
things strictly from their end or from their team. And, yeah. and the reality is um, you're trying to impose your will or create the other team, you know, to do things that you want and, and taking time and space away. So we spent a lot of time actually talking about that. Like what's the other guy want to do? What does Arizona or what does North Dakota actually want to do? What he's trying to get accomplished. So what can you do, you know, to take him off his game and kind of, I don't want to say get into his head, but just what, what can you do to kind of take away his time and space so it makes it more uncomfortable for that particular player. So we, we do try to kind of flip it a little bit so that they're looking at it from a different perspective that hopefully it helps them at times. Right. So now does, does the big red have a quote unquote goalie coach? Yeah, no. Well, we, uh, coach Schaefer does a lot of work with that. Uh, Shaner's allowed based on the NCAA rules to do, uh, um, some, some different things with, with, uh, with our guys, but coach Schaefer and, and Shaner, um, you know, spent a lot of time doing that. Mitch Stevens is also, um, you know, in, in involved with, uh, um, getting on the ice at, at, at different times as well. So it's, uh, um, you know, Shane does a lot of research on that. He's extremely involved in that. That's where his passion's at. Obviously, the, the you know, some of the NCAA rules um, preclude him from doing certain things, but uh, um, we're, uh, we're able to kind of, you know, work together as a, as a group and in particular, you know, coach um, and Mitch and, and uh, are able to help, uh, um, you know, coach, uh, you know, our guys and, and Shaner's able to do what he does, um, you know, with, uh, with the rules. Also our... NCAA rules. Like, uh, is that, is, is he just not allowed to technically be called a goalie coach or is, is it like something different than that? Yeah. It, well, cause he's, his, you know, he's, uh, titled as a, a director of hockey operations. So that's, uh, it, there's different, um, what, what most would determine or, or perceive to be a coach. He has just some slightly different restrictions that, that say Sean, Mitch or coach Schaefer and I um, don't have um, where our titles are, are coaches. Um, but, you know, the reality of it is she does a ton of work in terms of um, prepping um, and, and, and watching the video and doing things that he's allowed to do. Like he's, um, I, I mean, I think he's an unbelievable coach, his detail and his, his ability to see certain things and how he's part of our, our staff meetings is, you know, how he talks in our meetings and stuff is, is no different than, than a coach would be. Um, so we're lucky to have him from, from that regard. It's just how he's able to relay that all the time to, uh, to, to our guys is a little bit different. So you brought up the capitals earlier and we just wanted to know just based on that, how would you describe the relation or relationship between Cornell hockey and these pro teams? I think it's uh, Sean. It's pretty close. Like they're they're uh, um, obviously are, they're around a lot. Um, I would say probably average six to seven you know teams that come in on on any given night to, to watch right. our players. Um, you know the, the the other part of it. A lot of the pro coaches have have coached at the college level and, and moved along. So there's a lot of different interactions. Um, I always say that, you know, as we all know, the world is small, but the hockey world is extremely small. And yeah. so guys are always overlapping. Some guys have traveled or changed jobs more than others. 
Um, but you know, you, you could always, you know, your good friend could end up, you know, coaching the St. Louis blues, you know, in, in, uh, in a month's time, you know? Um, so there, there's constant interaction with, with pro guys. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're trying on our end to, as I alluded to a little bit earlier from the defensive side of things is, is really impart some things with our guys that when they leave that they're, they're going to be able to, you know, uh, translate some of those skills into the pro game, you know, a little quicker or with a little bit more ease. But I also think obviously when you're, you're able to talk and know what the pro guys are looking for, not only as an individual player, but systematically, um, and, and you can impart that with your guys, it, 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 uh, it, it helps your own team as well. So there's constant communication with everybody on our staff has probably better friends in different organizations. Um, like, you know, our, our uh, other assistant there, Sean Flanagan, his, his brother works for the Ottawa Senators in the scouting department. So, you know, there's, there's always um, interaction going, uh, going back and forth with, with a number of different teams. So does that mean we could expect the Cornell player on the New Jersey Devils soon? Because I think, I think <laughs> that, that's what you're looking for there. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I, I actually went to grad school with uh, Danny McKinnon, who works in their their development office. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll work on that here, you know. So actually, one of I don't know if you know this, one of uh, one of uh, former Cornell coaches, Lou Raycroft, who actually lives yeah. in town, is a is a Jersey scout. I I don't know if you're aware of that or not. I think I believe we did address that about I think two episodes ago. Okay, I, I mean you know still. We're always down for more hockey knowledge in general, more hockey information. Sure. So, so hey, hopefully there's a big red that I could cheer on in New Jersey, as a lot of my New Yorker friends are probably cringing at that thought. (laughs) Yeah, 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 for sure. (laughs) <laughs> and it's uh it's it, it's certainly interesting to hear we had a big revelation on the podcast last week that uh matt steinberg's father is actually working for the kraken right now as a as, as a recruitment but anyway talking yeah, yeah. about your uh, uh being the head of the recruiting for the big red i'll bet you're traveling the most out of the entire coaching staff no or is that a myth well i, I both sean and i travel a lot um sean travels a, a, a lot and so I don't know. We don't really break down as terms of the number of days on, on, on the road. Um, but, but, but Flanny travels a ton too. I would say it's probably a 50, 50 split. Some, uh, if I were to guess, um, but the two of us spend a ton of time on, on the road. Um, and, and a lot of it too, is I think people out there think you just go and find a player. You randomly go and find a player. There's a lot of work before you ever get into a car or a plane to find out if you're going to the right spot or what spot you need to be going. And, um, you know, I, I will say this is that, uh, both Sean's wife and my wife thinks that, uh, every now and again, we have a mistress because we, we end up talking on the, on the <laughs> phone, uh, or, or give give that old, you know, message. I can't talk right now. So, um, Flanny and I do spend a lot of time talking, uh, talking on the phone, uh, uh, and, and sharing ideas and sharing thoughts on, on, on players. So um, it, it's, uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. I know I'm getting off the, the question that you asked, but uh, I've been very fortunate to work with, uh, with, with Sean here the last number of years. And, and uh, hopefully he would say the same too, because we spend a lot of time uh, talking back and forth and it's a lot of fun uh, trying to find that right fit of a player, not just as a, from a talent perspective, but really that right character and that right guy that really kind of fits 
you know, our, our, uh, our program here at Cornell. No, that's a great response. Now, um, so I, I, on that topic of selecting the right player, the right fit, the right mentality, everything like that, um, the Big Red has experienced an immense amount of player turnover in the past two years, and inevitably it's going to happen sooner as that's kind of what happens with college hockey. And now when you, are t- when you and Sean specifically are tasked with recruiting and rebuilding the squad for the coming season – and you're dealing with essentially a clean slate almost every season. What's your strategy? How do you approach rebuilding the team? I'd imagine it's like almost like a drawing board of sorts that you go back to every season. Yeah. And, and, and it's, I don't know if I would use Alex the term clean slate because you always have some guys that, 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 that are, 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 you know, going to, you know, go from, you know, sophomores to, you know, to juniors, you might have three left-handed defensemen. So now you got to bring in right-handed demon the following year. You might graduate all those lefties and bring in right. So, so it, it's a different look every year, but you have different pieces that you have in. So it's a matter of um, like trying to plan what are you going to need next year? But in, in, in recruiting, it's not just planning next year, but it's planning two years out and it's planning three years out. And, and that's where um, always, um, constant communication, also the back and forth in, in and amongst our staff. Um, but then not just trying to communicate, find that right guy, but is that right guy kind of at our standard? Is it of, of what we're looking for? Do they meet and check the box? Do they have enough spirit? You know, that's, that's the biggest thing for, for us, you know, followed by, by, uh, you know, hockey sense. Can they think the game and the, can they compete? You know, and you just alluded to Matty Steinberg. Matty Steinberg is is an absolute rink rat. You know, like he loves the game in all facets. You know, and and that's what oozes out of him. If you go back, you know, to when he was recruited, is that's the thing that that that, that strikes you um, immediately when when you speak with him. He he checks those two boxes, and so we're constantly trying to one, make sure we're checking those boxes with whoever it is we bring in. And then, you know, are we filling the other voids of obviously the skill, you need to have a certain level of skill to compete at a national level and for a national tournament, can you skate fast enough? And then you have the body or the frame that gives you one, are you big enough or can you develop enough strength, um, you know, to be able to compete at this level also. Fair. Steinberg loves his pregame cookies too. That that also oh. came off the last show. And I, I'm I'm learning here too is that he likes his candy here too. He, oh yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Oh yeah, he's, cookies, he's, all that yeah. Good stuff. All, all because he scored one goal. He's like Benny. I never used to eat cookies, and then I I uh, was at Ohio State out in Vegas area. Yeah, he, he had a cookie and he scored. <laughs> so he's like, now I got to eat yeah. cookies. So. That that's Shaner's biggest chore here. Yeah. Did you did he tell you about Shaner didn't have cookies one day at, at pregame? And I thought Matty yes, was yes, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, he did tell us that. He told us the cookie origin story. That's yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah. And, yeah. and people so, at home probably get get worried and wonder why you know make sure our skates are tight and we have enough tape to put on our sticks. But yeah. the reality is Matt Steinberg needs to make sure he has a yeah, cookie at the pregame. Cookie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, that's that's hilarious. And so I was going to ask as a, you know, as the, the head of recruiting, what's your feeling about utilizing the transfer portal as an element of recruiting? I know, especially in the wake of the pandemic, a lot more coaches are using the transfer portal to build up um, their squads. And I think that kind of plays into a philosophical question of is it better to get quick wins now and and try to go for broke like in one or within one or two years or is it better to build out the program long term when you're thinking about this and a lot of coaches have have utilized it you look at rpi and sacred heart down south they they've definitely been using the transfer portal but what what's your philosophy as a recruiter uh, on that i'm sorry if it's a complicated philosophical question no it's 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 not at all it's it's a you know for for me and for our staff is that we really like the group of guys that we have um even guys that, that, that maybe don't play as much like we have a great group of guys like you know it, it, we enjoy being around them the guys enjoy being around each other and i think that creates a culture that we really like and so we want to if I use your term, Alex, is we want to build that out. We want to maintain that 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 culture um, throughout. And I think that comes over time. That's not something that you're able to kind of replace as as a quick hitter year in and year out. Um, so that that is something that we we want to try to maintain. Um, obviously, in this day and age, you have to be able to adjust and and. Um, <laughs> To, to the new parameters and certainly the transfer portal has, has, has changed that. Um, and so, you know, we were aware, we're mindful of the transfer portal. Um, but I go back to it is that you also got to be able to check the, the boxes that we're looking for. Um, there's a reason why people are transferring and do they fit what um, Cornell is all about? Because I think that's more important. I had, a wise man once told me that it's not about the kids always that you get to the program, but sometimes it's the, your best recruits are those that you don't bring to the program. So it's not going out and just getting a guy to fill jersey number 16 or jersey number 17, but it's, you know, sometimes the guy that you're looking at really isn't that fit. So now are you able to take a pass because he really doesn't fit your program? You might have to wait a little bit longer to get that actual, you know, right fit to come to, to our, our program. So um, hopefully I'm answering you, but we, we will spend time. We do spend time with the portal, but it's, it's, it's also with the, some of the restrictions and the timing that we have at Cornell and as an Ivy institution, it's a little bit different than some other places, you know, um, I've worked at a scholarship school before too. The, the admissions is, is the, the, the process is less stringent or, and, or you're able to provide a scholarship like right away. Like, you know, I can come in and I can say, Sean, I, I think you're worth X amount of money. Boom. Here's your scholarship kind of take it or leave it. And obviously in our process, um, that's, that's not something that, that, that we're able to do. Sidney Crosby could show up or, you know, obviously Sean's got to be a Hughes fan down there in Jersey. I, I would like to have Hughes on our team too. I think he would, he would help us, but he would still go through the financial aid process as well at, at, at Cornell. And so then his family has to decide whether, you know, he would be, uh, uh, they can, uh, they can afford it. Um, and, and it's a fit for, for them. So there's, there's some different elements that come into looking at the portal, um, here at Cornell than, than 
you know, maybe some other other places. Yeah, I was I was going to say I didn't really uh, I, I haven't really seen the Big Red use much in the transfer portal. And I suppose I mean on on my end I I, I think you know philosophically like you said you know build out long term. But you know that's just yeah. kind of my theory on it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Now, Coach, you quickly brought up uh, Quinnipiac, and so you know you spent the past eleven years with the Big Red, but prior to that, you worked with the Bobcats for nearly twelve years. So what inspired you to come to Cornell University and stand behind the bench with the Big Red? Yeah, I, I mean, it was, um, I really enjoyed my time at, uh, at, at Quinnipiac, and I'm grateful they gave me uh, my, my first start in, in college hockey. Um, so I'll, I'll never forget that. Um, but I had an opportunity 11 years ago to, to come to Cornell and, and uh um, work in kind of a, a, a slightly different environment with, uh, um, and what I mean by environment with an Ivy League student, a little bit of a different recruiting um, process and admissions process. Um, and and uh, so I thought that would be a great opportunity and an opportunity to work with with Coach Schaefer, um, who well-established and very successful. I thought that was a um, a great opportunity to, to learn and, and build my uh, knowledge of the game and, and, and enhance my career. And, and certainly I'm in, in, in very fortunate that, uh, um, th- that I was able to do that. And, and uh, um, you know, since then, uh, obviously my, my family and uh, has, has, has really uh, settled into Ithaca and loved the area. Uh, my wife works on, on campus. She's a VP on campus. So our, our family is Cornell big reds through and through. And my, my girls love it here as well too. And so it's uh, been very fortunate to, um, to be in a couple really good spots here. Absolutely wonderful. It, yeah. it seems like almost the true that fairy tale story about, you know, how, how you came here and you've built loyalty to the program over the last 11 years. That's awesome. And now um, there are many great coaches um, throughout the hockey world. And as we've sort of asked this question to every person who's been on the podcast so far, uh, but I guess for you, it's a little bit different. Um but do you have a mentor as a coach or, or a person that you look up to and emulate as a coach? It can be someone uh, either on the big red squad or throughout your story career. Like, but do you have a, a mentor that you look up to? Yeah, I think it's, you know, I, I have, I have multiples, I guess, Alex. Um, it it kind of depends on the area that I look at. Like if you look at, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, um, I worked with a couple guys early on um, at Quinnipiac that, that were hardworking guys and spent a lot of time from a recruiting side with Kyle Wallach and, and Scott Robson. Um, and so I learned a lot, you know, and how they went about their business. But I also was able to get to know over this time some some guys that have been at it um, for, for a long time. Two guys that come to mind in terms of recruiting that I have a great deal of respect for is uh, Todd Connaught, who, who works out at Mankato right now, um, and also uh, um, uh, Steve Miller, who is at Ohio State. And, and we get an opportunity to, to chat a little bit. Obviously, if you, you look into it, our, our recruiting pools are 
they cross over, but they're, they're different um, just based on our, our school. So we're able to talk a little bit and, and, and share some information at, at, at different times. Um, but then when you really break it down in terms of, um, you know, <laughs> coaching, there's been a lot of guys that have had different, you know, influences. Um, and, and I think that the, the best ones is probably more of, um, just their demeanor and, and guys that really wanted to be and are teachers at heart. I think this is a game that um, is a game and, but it's instruction. I grew up, my parents were both teachers and I just thought I would be a teacher. I was, I count myself very fortunate to have an opportunity that I've been able to, to coach and, and, and not just teach math or English. You know, I, that's probably what I would have done had I not got into coaching. And so there's been a few guys um, that, that I've been able to really um, uh, interact with. And, and, you know, in particular, the, the guys that I work with here, you know, currently is, is you know, Coach Schaefer is a guy that spends a, a great deal of detail day in and day out. And you, and you watch that and, and observe that, 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 you know, you want to use the term inspire, it, it helps you push it and inspire you to, to, to be on top of your responsibilities and enhancing the guys that, that you're responsible for and work with. Um, and, you know, Mitch Stevens and, and uh, um, Sean Flanagan, who we work together now, I think Mitchie's been with us three years now. Flanny and I have been together six years now. Um, you know, the detail that they, they approach each day with as well too. And, and, and ultimately want to see an improvement for our, our, our players is, is certainly something that uh, I have a, a great deal of respect for as well too. Great. Probably too long of an answer here, but there's. Uh, <laughs> oh no, very, no, no, not at all, I, not at all. I, I've been very fortunate that uh, I've I've had a lot of guys that have impacted me. Sometimes it's been very short conversations, other times it's been longer relationships that uh, I've been really influenced by and, and very grateful for. Of course, it sounds like a what one could describe as a gospel of inspirees, I suppose. I'm not really sure what's the word. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So now the penultimate Sinbin question. The Big Red are finally due to face the University of North Dakota and Grand Forks this upcoming weekend. You know, of course, it's the much anticipated homecoming of our beloved captain Cody Haskinen and the most sought after match collectively by our previous interviewees. Everyone's looking forward to this one. So how is the coaching staff preparing for this much anticipated showdown against the number five team in the nation? I think it's it's a it, I go back to how we kind of started this conversation. It's 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 the weekly process is getting back to you know the early part part of the week for us is addressing things that uh, that occurred the previous weekend, good or bad. And so right. we're kind of putting that to to bed um, in beautiful Arizona here and moving on here as we we start to focus in on on Grand Forks and some of the details that that they. Um, uh, and tendencies, I shouldn't say details, but some of their tendencies that they that they uh, um, show in, in games that we watch. And so that's going to be something that we'll start to, you know, impart. Um, the, one of the things is that when you really watch them, I, I think they do an unbelievable job of, we talked about details, they, 
they do a great job of following their process. They're on their detail. And so I think that's going to challenge us to be the best version of us. And so, yeah, they will show us a few different looks. Um, but the reality is in order for us to have success, we're going to have to be the best version of the big red. And if our guys and our staff, you know, can continue to follow that process, that's going to give us an opportunity to have success here this weekend. All right. Wise words. And speaking of that, (laughs) do you have any other comments or reflections or interesting stories, wisdom (laughs) that you'd like Mm -hmm. to share with us from your time with the big red? I think that's a, you know, there's, there's tons of stories. It's, it's, uh, um, I think the, 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 the biggest one was, uh, this one I'll never forget is, uh, um, the first year I knew Harvard and Cornell had, a had an unbelievable, uh, storied history in the throwing of the chickens and down at Harvard and the throwing of the fish and, and, uh, uh, and I had never witnessed it before. And so my first year that we were at home against Harvard, uh, I, I'm one of those coaches that probably uh, I go to the bathroom probably a little bit more. And that guy in, in between where I, he, I make sure before I go down to the bench is part of my, my routine. And uh, coach Schaefer was, uh, was like literally knocking on the door to, to, to get me going. He's like, these fish are flying. We got to get going here. We're not missing the fish. So we, we had to run down the tunnel uh, as, as, as quick as we could. I still remember that as a, you know, I, I was just going with my regular routine. He goes, no, we got to speed this up here today. And sure enough, we get down there and the fish are flying. And it was the first time I was like, I felt a little bit hurried and, and didn't, didn't, wasn't able to follow, uh, you know, our, our, the, the daily routine, but you had to get down there a little bit earlier. So it was something that uh, stuck with me that uh, always ready to go when we're playing uh, Harvard, uh, uh, whether it's at home or the road, it's always uh, an exciting day. So, <laughs> yeah. This Most is actually a, a last minute question because you, yeah. you just mentioned Harvard. What was it like on the night of Harvard versus Cornell in November, 2017, that last second goal by Alec? Like, what was it like behind the bench? Crazy. I, I don't know. I've never been part of anything like that. Like there's, there's, there's been a few crazy days in my, and that's right up there with, uh, I, I, I mean, I thought the roof was going to fly off. Like it, it was, it, it was almost surreal, but you saw it set up too in a way that it was, you know, kind of playing itself out. You, you knew something was, was, was going to happen. Um, but, uh, at the, at the same token, it was, uh, um, it was crazy. I, I don't know how else to say it. It was absolutely bananas. And, and, uh, um, the excitement that, that, and, uh, that our guys had, that our staff had, and then you look out and the, f- the fans are going bananas. And it was like this look of craziness and excitement. And, and like, did this really happen? And, and, uh, uh, it, it was something else. It, uh, whenever I see those pictures, it's, it's, uh, um, it, it, yeah, it brings back a lot of great memories. Um, you, you, you know, guys still talk about it, um, whether it was guys that played in the game or guys that, uh, you know, had a chance to, to, to watch it. It's, it's, uh, um, it, it's one of those games that certainly will never be forgotten in history. That's for sure. Of course, goose, goose bumping jubilation, I guess, is the best way to put it. A hundred percent, hundred percent. All right. So yeah, coach, just thank you so much for joining us on the Sinbin, but 
You listeners already know what's up next. It's the slap shot round right after this. <laughs> All right, welcome back to the Slapshot Round, where we ask hard-hitting, fun questions and have you answer them as quick as you can. So, of course, with or per tradition, rather, are you good to go, Coach? I'm good to go. I'm a little worried, though, with this timing thing here. I'm, I'm, I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> no, don't be nervous, Coach. Again, it's just like Slapshot. You just get rid of it as fast as you can, as hard as you can, and then, you know, pray, pray for mercy that it goes in, basically. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. So with question number one, what is the farthest that you've ever traveled for recruitment? By car or by plane? Wow. I, well, then. I got two stories for you. The farthest <laughs> I've ever, ever been is uh, to Dawson Creek, British Columbia. Mm. Uh, that was uh, I flew to Seattle and drove up there. But the farthest I ever drove was I did leave Connecticut and drove all the way to Sioux Falls and then took it two days to drive home. Oh my goodness. All right. So that must have been uh that must have been an experience. It was. There was a yeah, few long like, days uh involved in that. And I'm not gonna lie to you, there may have been a nap or two in the car along the way. Yeah, that's like a 20, 30 hour drive, is it not? I mean uh, it I've is. Been... It's I drove 12 hours uh into Ontario. I drove another eleven down to Indianapolis, another twelve to Sioux Falls, and then uh I actually thought I might get to Columbus, Ohio to watch a game Sunday afternoon, but by that point, I, it, it didn't happen. So it was yeah. uh, it took a day and a half and then something to get home. Yeah. Wow. Do you remember um, where in Connecticut? Because I know Alex is from there. Yeah, that's what I was actually still at uh, at at, uh, at Quinnipiac. So it was yeah, Hamden. Uh, at, at Hamden. Yeah. 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 yeah north wow. yeah. About an hour north yeah. of me. But yeah, <laughs> uh, I always go to the uh, Quinnipiac University, Yale, uh, big red games if I get the chance. I'll be going to the sure. Yale game for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I followed it up though. The, the the trip to Dawson Creek was uh, was good. Flew into Seattle, drove to beautiful Merritt, British Columbia. I'll let viewers look that one up. Followed by driving up to PG and then across to Dawson Creek and down to Calgary and then back into Vancouver. And that was uh, that was a little bit of a whirlwind. A different area of the country or countries, but uh, um, it, it was uh, that was a good trip too. Wow. Well, then, we're going to move on to a different type of question. Yeah. What do you think or who do you think is the NHL team most likely to win the Stanley Cup this season? Oh, goodness. You came at me hot here right now. I'm going to go <laughs> with uh, I, I'm going to go with the Tampa Bay Lightning here just because uh, um, okay. I think they got a great staff. You know, a few guys there right now. And, and it's hard to hard to uh, go against the defending champs. Yeah, that that's a that's a yeah. great take. I'm no. pretty. They're number one in their division right now, and I yeah. believe the Rangers on the opposite coast or on the opposite side rather are also number one in there. So, yeah, yeah. It's in terms of coaching, I think they should give it to them right now. I mean, John Cooper is amazing. That's yeah, tough, but like, yeah. In terms of, but it, it's but it's not just coaches that win the battle. I mean, well, I'm, I'm not a Tampa Bay fan. Full disclosure, but like, you know, I'll give, I'll give credit. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned the coaching staff, and I, I suppose this question is pretty appropriate, pretty suitable. But do you have a favorite colonel? Wow. Do you have a favorite current NHL coach? Oh, that's a good one. I, I got multiples. I, I, I think I'm going to stick with um, 
my Tampa analogy here right now, or Tampa, I, I've known uh, Coop here for, for a while. Um, and I just think he has an uncanny um, ability to work with people um, going back to when he coached junior hockey. We dealt with him a lot um, with his players. He just had an ability to understand people at, and, and interact with people at, at a level that uh, I had never seen previous and, and even arguably still haven't seen. And, and so it's uh, not surprising to me that he's had the success um, that, that he has had. So um, I'm, I'm always enamored by watching and to see how the consistency occurs with the group that, that, that he's had at, at every level. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I I was gonna bet on that. I would say, oh yeah, I'll bet he's gonna. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll bet he's gonna ch- choose John Cooper. I was gonna say, uh, yeah, Cooper would have coached uh, Team Canada, and yeah. uh, no, that was uh, amazing. Yeah, but uh, sad that they won't be going to the Olympics. But uh, yeah. No. Um. Anyways, so we've asked this question to a number of players, and we've gotten some very interesting responses. So as a coach. Who do you think is a player on the team with the weirdest pregame ritual? And I know we already well, brought up Matt Steinberg's cookies, but I don't really think that qualifies <laughs> as weird. That's just more interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, I, I, I'm going to go back um, to when I first showed up. Am I allowed to go back in history here a little oh, yeah. bit? Of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. Of course. So Andy Isles, who was a goalie, used to uh, – get his gear wet um, and then put on wet gear um, and, and do that on a regular basis before games. It was something I had never, never heard of before. And, and uh, he was one of the most intense guys in terms of his, his pregame ritual. And it just was, uh, um, uh, and he was dialed in every time. So it, it, it worked for him, um, but it was a little different. That's something I, I, I hadn't seen before. So it was uh, it was unique for me. It's like the ice bath without the ice, man. Yeah, that's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. something. Well, I mean, screw the smelling salts or coffee. No, how do you wake yourself? Oh, I soak my gear in water. That's something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Mm. Interesting. So yeah. I'm going to switch gears here. Favorite genre of music? Oh. You know what? I, I uh, in, in full disclosure, this is where I get along well with Shane. Or I, I do like uh, I do like a good dance uh, a dance song every now and again. I, I think I people agree. perceive me to be a country guy, which I don't mind. <laughs> but uh, um, when uh, Liam Motley gets the dance tunes going in the locker room, mm. that's a that's a good day for Coach Sire. Yeah, <laughs> great, great. No, no. I know Matt Steinberg was the only guy who said he liked country music openly here. I could not believe that Kyle Best didn't say that, but you know, hey, yeah. to each their yeah. own. You know, that's cool. Well, but Betsy's got to be where Betsy grew up. There's no, there's no question. You, I, you got to have a little I, bit of a I know. positive appreciation for uh, for country music. You know, I, I, I know. That's what I was talking about with Matt Steinberg. I'm like, wait, isn't isn't Kyle Betts from Flesherton? That's like a farming town. Yeah, and, yeah. and he's like, oh, he's like, oh no, I, I, I like EDM. I'm like, hey, to each their own. That's amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Great, great, and. Uh, also, another uh, interesting hot topic. Have you ever been ejected from a game as a coach? It's okay if you can't answer that. I, I totally get it. Um, I, I, 
funny story. I have never been ejected uh, from a college game. I did get thrown out once in a youth game coaching uh, um, uh, one of my my uh, my my kids. Um, probably because I was a little excited after an offside was missed, and then I realized that uh, um, you know what, it's uh, we're just here to help the kids here too. I need to probably tone it down a little bit. So it's uh, it was an eye opener for me. For sure. <laughs> That's really funny. I yeah. mean, oh, I, I, yeah. I, I can imagine that, you know, as, as parents, you kind of get like it, like you get over overzealous because, you know, you're proud of your kids and everything. Yeah. And then, oh, I think man. this was more, Alex, I, I'm certainly proud of my kids, but this is more when uh, I was like, you can't miss that offside call. And so what do you do in a college game? You bring it to attention. And I don't think that this, this particular referee was, uh, was ready for me to challenge him. And it was a quick see you later. I'm like, Oh, all right. Good, good talk. You know, and uh, walked <laughs> off the bench, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, and so with that uh, hockey opponent that you're looking uh, forward to uh, playing this season the most? Well, I'll tell you what, it's, it's, we've got a couple. Um, I, I think for, for uh, we've already played Harvard. I was looking forward to coming to, 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 uh, to Arizona, but I, I, I think to be honest, I, I think, not just because it's a game that's coming up here is it there's there's a lot of similarities in my opinion between us and in in North Dakota um I haven't had an opportunity to play against them since uh I've been here at, at Cornell or coach against them have a tremendous amount of respect for 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 their staff um and and not only how they play but how they recruit and the players that they they bring in um, so I think this is going to be a great challenge for us. It's going to be a great measuring stick of, uh, for us as we continue into the second half of the year. And, and, uh, so I'm going to go with, uh, with Nodak. Of course. Mm. Now that jumping on the North Dakota bandwagon, everybody's yeah. excited for that. Yeah. How can you not be? It's a great, it's a, no, it's, it's going to be a great series of games. Definitely. And well, yeah. I had heard that you guys were originally supposed to play them last year. And then that, because it got canceled, they moved it to this year or, 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 or were they supposed to come to Ithaca or? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's still talk of us working that, having them come back. So it's uh, with last year, there's certainly been some different juggling going on and some, some changing of, of, of the schedule here. And so it's uh, um, it's, it's uh, last year, certainly threw a little bit of a, a monkey wrench into things here and uh um, we're trying to get that uh, all rectified. And so hopefully within the next couple of years, we can announce that uh, the Nodak's actually coming to, uh, to Lina because that'll be, uh, it'd be great for the fans to see that event. And, and I, can, I can tell you that'll be a hard hitting affair. There's, there's no question. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now coach, I think you did talk about this earlier, but are there any opponent coaches that you're friends with off the ice? Oh, I, I, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm friendly with a number of guys. I, uh, um, and there's, there's a lot of guys that uh, when you're out recruiting that, you know, I touched a little bit on, on Steve Miller and, and Todd Connaught, two of the guys that I like to, you know, to, to, to see in the rink, but 
Um, you know, there's guys like I work with Topher Scott, who's a great friend of mine that's now coaching youth hockey. Whenever I get a chance to see Toph in a rink, um, I mean, we talk otherwise, but it's always good to, you know, to, to be able to see him and um, there's some other youth coaches that I've known and and really become, you know, great friends with over over the years. And um, even guys now that, that that I had a chance to coach that are now in the coaching uh, um, fraternity or the coaching field to be able to see them. So um, it's a re- real fair question, but I, there's a lot of guys that I, I really do like to like to see um, and and go grab a coffee with or maybe grab dinner with after after the game and um, you know check in see how uh, see how their families are doing and and uh, how they're getting along. That's nice. I guess a yeah. little bit of a coaches union from what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, it, don't don't kid yourself. There's a competitive side of things here too. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, it's early in the day or later in the day when when it's about work and trying to get to get yeah. the right fit and the right guy you know your mind's going <laughs> and you're texting and calling the right people to make sure that you can try to you know land that uh, that, that that right recruit but uh, um, you know at the same time you you know the one thing I think people probably don't realize you spend a lot of time alone um, traveling in a, in a car uh, in a plane in some places that um, you know you if anybody wants some excitement in life, you know, get in a car and drive across the prairies in the middle of the winter, you know, and it's a little nerve wracking. And so you want to make sure that, uh, um, that, that, uh, you know, that there's other guys on the road. If, if you got in an accident or, or you put the car in the ditch, you know, sometimes I, I still, Jamie Rice, who coaches at Babs and one of my first recruiting trips ever, I was in Saskatchewan in a snowstorm and I had to drive three hours at night to, uh, um, to catch a, an early flight the next day. And, and to be honest, I really didn't know Jamie that well. I knew who he was, but um, it was kind of the first time we spent some time together. And I, this I'll, I'll never forget because it was a, not just a great piece of advice, but he showed that he actually cared. And, and he's like, Ben, you can't drive tonight. And I kind of looked at him and I'm from Ontario. I've dri- driven in snow my entire life. He goes, you haven't driven ever in the prairies in snow. And I kind of dismissed it and I, I'll never forget this. I, I drove for 45 minutes and I got, I got a grand total of seven miles outside of town. The, the bus passed me that, uh, that uh, Melford had played against. And I turned around and went back and, and uh, uh, grabbed a hotel and, and figured it out the next day, how, how I get home. And, and he was a hundred percent right. Cause there's, the, there, there was no way I was getting back to the to uh, to the airport three hours away that night, and I probably would have ended up in the ditch, and it was about minus twenty Celsius out. So you know, it was something that I'll never forget. So when you talk about the coaching fraternity, is that there's a, you know, certainly we do this as a business, but when you're out in some of these smaller towns and lonelier places, you've got to make sure that you're taking care of people as well. Yeah. And now with that, so on the coaching topic, you know. You and Shafe and uh, Sean Flanagan obviously have a, a, an unspoken brotherhood, I suppose. Now, if you and Shafe got sick and you had to pick two players to sit behind the bench in your stead to coach the team, who would you pick? Oh, geez. Well, the two guys that pop to mind right now, because I know their dads would be able to do a great job. So I'm going to, I'm going to hope that it, it, it comes down, but I'm going to go with Stein and we've already talked about him yeah. and then I'm going to go with Mitchie. So, so uh, I've seen Jeff Mitchell coach behind the bench and he's got a great calming presence. Um, 
Now, I don't know if Matty Steinberg, knowing Trevor Steinberg a little bit, I don't know if he has quite quite that same calming presence. Uh, uh, he's got a little more fire, fire in his belly here, but those are the two guys that, uh, that I would go with here to start. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's probably then, a few guys, <coughs> excuse me. There's probably a few guys on our team that probably would disagree with, uh, with, with that here. And, and I'll hear about it later. No, that's a great answer. I mean, <laughs> hey, hey, hey. I mean, Steinberg for sure. He's got the lineage and then yeah. Mitchell obviously as well. So, yeah, yeah, like father, like son in that in in, in that regard. And now in a similar style, and and we've asked uh, some players this question in a catastrophic event where you had Hauser, McDonald and Shane all out for some reason, who would you have to throw on the pads for the big red? Oh, geez. Like an e-bug situation, like David Ayers, but collegiate hockey. Well, I'll tell you what, we used to have Jake Widener, who was a captain for us. He would always throw the pads on in, uh, uh, in like uh, like Christmas scrimmages and, and times like that. We haven't had a guy the same way that's uh, – you got to be half crazy. Um, you know, Steiny certainly fits a half crazy standpoint there, right? You know, you know who I go with? Yeah, you know what? He's going to be mad at me because this didn't come to my mind best hockey school goalie that we have is Kyle Betts by far 100 yeah. percent I would put Betsy <laughs> in and 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 in a in a, sh- a short second uh or, or right behind him would be Zach Bramwell those would be one two for me yeah Brent Br- Brammer's been pretty good in hockey school too he can take down the squirts with the best of them yeah <laughs> I, I I was gonna say I'll I'll bet it's bets because I remember asking him this question. He's like, oh yeah, he's like I actually played a couple times, you know, in practice. I threw the pads on, take yeah. a couple shots, you know. It's the yeah, they love doing it. Mm-hmm. No, great. Yeah, he he would always if if we were short a goalie in uh, in hockey school, Betsy was the uh, be the first guy to throw uh, throw the gear on. No, that's great. And now uh, with that kind of similar direction. Um, what's the player with the weirdest stick tape job? Does Cordell have one of those guys who just like tapes his stick up in such a weird manner, but it works? You know what? I, 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 I'm going to have, I don't know if I have a right answer for this one because I kind of defer. We got a, an area where our guys, you know, tape their stick and, and there's some guys that are there like non, like nonstop. Like the one guy that I think, I don't know if I'd say it's weird, but I'll tell you what, Hank Kemp spends a lot of time around that area. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know how many times he tapes his stick, but every time I walk down the tunnel, he's always taping his stick. So I don't know if it would be the weirdest tape job, but uh, um, Hank uses his fair share of tape. That I can tell you for sure. Ah, this is, uh, well, well, now, does, does the Big Red make them pay for their own tape, or do you keep supplying them with tape? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, if, if this keeps going, we might have to put it on, uh, on, the, on their budget here, but, uh, um, no, we, we, uh, uh, Schmidt, does a great job. Sean Schmidt, our equipment guy, he, uh, he takes care of all, uh, all the guys tape needs. Uh, um, he does a pretty good job of that for us. Yeah. I was going to say, we'll, yeah. we'll only charge you if your stick tape job is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, now yeah. you got me thinking though, I'm going to actually pay a little bit more attention to this here, Alex. It's, uh, um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen a crazy one in a while here, but uh, I'm going to pay a little more attention to that for sure. That was great. Now, Coach, we've asked most of the Canadians on this podcast this question, but 
what is the one thing or what is one thing rather that kind of grinds your gears about Americans? Well, I don't know if you know, but I'm also an American citizen too. No, I'm of dual. course. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm a oh, dual. Okay. So, 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 uh, um, what grinds me about, um, oh, that's a good question. You know what probably grinds me most? I actually was in this conversation yesterday with our Canadian guys. Uh -oh. Is All right. You guys grew up with mac and cheese, right? Did you guys eat mac and cheese as kids? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What grinds me is that Americans do not appreciate ketchup on mac and cheese. All Canadians, okay. Otherwise, Jeff Mallott, who was a former player of ours, he calls ketchup Canadian gravy. So Canadian gravy goes on mac and cheese. I'll never forget it. The first time I was with my wife, the girlfriend at the time, and I mixed the ketchup in right with the cheese as I was stirring it, she looked at me like I had eight heads. Like, what are you doing putting ketchup? I'm like, this is how I grew up. You put ketchup in. It's just part of it. It's the ingredients. It's the unspoken ingredient that, that's part of it. So that's what probably grinds me the most is that there's zero appreciation for Canadian gravy slash ketchup to, to, to be part of the mac and cheese uh, uh, finished product. Wow, that's interesting. Wow. And I mean, our, our, our producer just, you know, just DMs us. He's like, yeah, that's very true. I'm like, man, <laughs> as an American, I can't even fathom that. Like, yeah. I, now, now I, I like mac and cheese, but, you know, to each their own, if you want to put like hot sauce or whatever on your mac and cheese with ketchup, I would not yeah. have expected. You want to go down? Well, now, where do you fit with hot dogs? Do you put mm -hmm. hot dogs in your mac with and cheese? See, Mike's going to appreciate this being up, up north. I, have you ever put hot dogs in mac and cheese? I, I have have not. Uh, oh, I goodness. can't say from personal experience. You got to get involved. <laughs> you got it. You got to try it at least once. And the biggest thing is you keep the hot dog whole or do you slice them up into small, uh, small pieces? That's I'd, your biggest I'd, decision. I'd, I'd, I'd slice it there. I, I think I'd go with slice it and make it, uh, make it taste a little bit better. That's that's interesting, man. I've never heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. Look, look at us Americans. So uneducated <laughs> here. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't have hot dogs or ketchup and mac and cheese. And, and you can't get butter tarts easily down in the U.S. either. So that's uh, that's another. Wait, I don't even uh, know what that is. Wait, wait, yeah, wait, Coach, wait. you got to tell us what the butter This deserves a, a, yeah. a, an explanation. Mike is going crazy over here. He's like, oh, yeah. No, but, yeah. Uh, what, what, what are so, those? So I, I, I'm not a diehard sweet guy, but I, there's certain sweets that will get to me. I like a good chocolate chip cookie, but I love a butter tart. So the area that I grew up in in Ontario has the second largest Mennonite population and Mennonites oh, are known yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for Mennonites, their baked yeah. goods. Yep. And so they have, um, it's like a best way I could probably describe it is like a small cake. Um, so it's a, 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 a paste, like a, like a cake um, pastry on, on the outside. And then it's brown sugar and butter. Um, I don't even actually know what else goes in it. And other than raisins, I'm a huge raisins guy. Some yeah. people don't like it with raisins. Some do. And uh, I had uh, it, my mother and my aunts were unbelievable at making these things. And we also had a couple stores um, or bakeries that were, that, that were phenomenal in the areas that I grew up and you can't get a good butter tart in the U S it's, it's just, it, it's fact. So it's whenever I go back to Ontario, there's like they sell them in the rinks. They used to sell them at Tim Hortons, with, and it's probably a good thing because I eat at Tim Hortons on the road all the time when I when I travel. I'd probably be 800 pounds because these things are so good, and I can't control <laughs> myself. So, um, but huh. uh, they're they're uh, 
I'll, I'll bring some back for you guys next time I go up uh, up up recruiting. We'll we'll. Oh my god, that'd be great! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've never look been at to me Canada, like they're not that good. So I gotta. I, I, yeah. I that's one more reason to go to Canada. I've heard so much about the food. And, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. And so uh, I'm or. Uh, well. I've got you all sidetracked now. You guys wanted to talk hockey. Next thing we know, we're talking about craft dinner and, and, and butter tarts. Yeah. I mean, obviously, this is an audio podcast, but, you know, the people can't see how wide my jaw drops when you said ketchup. <laughs> I, I've never heard of that, but I'll say it. I'll say, you know, I'll say it loud and proud. I would I would try it. I would try ketchup on mac and cheese. I feel like it would. No, is the mac and cheese bread? Because I feel like that could work a little bit. Well, you can do whatever you want, but I'm talking straight out of the box. Like that's just a given ingredient. You know, you've got to put a little Canadian gravy on, uh, on it. And that's, that's, you know, it, it, it just, <laughs> just spruces it up. It spruces it up. You know, I, I suppose, I suppose that's fair enough. And yeah. I think I have had not Mac and cheese, but like similar, just sort of like cheese based pasta, I suppose, but that isn't Mac and cheese with yeah. hot dogs. And it's actually pretty good when you like dice them up and you just throw them in there. It's pretty good it's dynamite it's dynamite <laughs> and yeah. this is this is really a great segue into the next one but what is your favorite food in Ithaca oh that is a great question um it's oh we end up eating at crossroads all the time where I live just outside in Lansing so crossroads is our is our, uh, is our go-to but I, I will say this is it didn't happen often. I'm, I'm, I'm really sad. John Thomas uh, shut down, but that was uh, uh, probably happened once a year where my wife and I were able to get over to John Thomas, both uh, diehard, diehard uh, 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 steak lovers. Um, but uh, my favorite, if you gave me one night where I could go out, if I could drive the boat into the boat yard and sit down and have a steak on a nice sunny July warm evening down at the boat yard um that's what uh that would be my go-to meal for sure wow well, you're yeah. a great choice <laughs> your grill. yeah yeah sounds like a very uh, I, I guess poetic is the right <laughs> word to put like a very poetic dinner more or less yeah <laughs> i think i think that's all of, that's all of our dreams in a way yeah yeah <laughs> just quite changing the subject yeah um you know what is the greatest 1000 IQ, the most intelligent play that you've ever seen while coaching the big red. Oh, that's a loaded question right there. Cause we we've seen, we've seen a few, um, oh, that's a, I'm trying to think of one that would stick out here is, is more than, than, than another, I, you know, I think there's one that sticks to me is, is a couple of years ago, I don't know if it was J-Mouse freshman year, we were playing Colgate and he threw the puck on a line rush between his, his feet and then shot it out the backside um, on, on a rush. And it was something that everybody talks about these Michigan goals now, like that yeah. Michigan move has been around since I was young, yeah. but now it's becoming more acceptable. And the move that Jay Mal had to throw between his legs it ended up scoring on the line rush at, at, uh, um, uh, at Colgate was something that uh, was, I thought way more creative than what he, he kind of, he had and, and to be able to pull it off and it was the right time and the right place to use it. And it was, uh, uh, it was phenomenal. That's the one that probably jumps out. I'm, I'm leaving a couple probably, 
And there's some subtle plays that guys have, have made, but this was probably the most exciting where he, he was kind of forced off and couldn't just make a regular play and how to get a little bit creative in the moment. He certainly did. Mm. Yeah. No, of course. I mean, maybe too many to count, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And again, more than a decade with the big red. So, uh, you know, no one can blame me there really. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and now, I feel like I just, I just whiffed there. You said I had to take the slap shot quick. I feel like I just whiffed no, on the one time. No, right there, no, you know? no, 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 <laughs> no, don't worry. Don't worry. Shot here particularly. <laughs> yeah. And of course, speaking of, I suppose you're speaking of a decade with the big red, but have you ever, have you ever tested this with who skates faster between you or Schaefer? Oh, I, I give Schaefer the nod here. Schaefer's got better skills than, uh, than, than, uh, than I do. So I might, uh, I might get him here, you know, on an off day, if I get a good stretch. Now I could beat him off the ice here and, in, in a, <laughs> we jog every now and again. I, I know I could, uh, I could hold my own in that department here, but I'll, I'll give him, uh, I'll give him the nod here, uh, as he's going up the ice. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, I ran into Schaefer the other day when he was jogging. Uh, yeah. He's, I'm like, the man can run. I'll give him that. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> that's fair. And yeah. um, so during during your uh, tenure at either QU, everywhere you've been, your storied career, has there ever been a goal that was scored with an assist from the equipment manager? Like, has everybody ever broke a stick, got the stick off the bench and scored? I got one better for you. So we had a kid at Quinnipiac that had two goals on a given night and it wasn't the equipment manager, but this kid broke his stick and he was a right-handed shot. And this guy was, uh, skates by the bench and one of our guys leans over and throws him a left-handed stick. And it was done on purpose. This guy was a little bit of a clown. And so the kid picked it up and realized he had a stick the wrong way and he went down and scored. So it was, uh, it, it was something else. The, the, the bench went absolutely bananas and as coaches, you were like, why did we just do that here right now? And it's probably a funny story to tell at the time. It was uh, um, as a coach, you were like, hey, you can't be clowning around like that. But when the goal went in, it was certainly something that the the, the, the guys will never uh, they'll never forget. Yeah. They don't ask you how it goes in the net as long as it goes in the net. You know, it's, <laughs> 100%. Uh, yeah. A great story. Absolutely yeah. great story. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what – on the team, who has the best goalie mask art? Oh, I'll tell you what. The most creative guy that, 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 that's been around was uh, – am I allowed to – can I go back a little bit? Of course. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Along, There's been plenty of masks. Mitch, yeah, Mitch Gillum was always that guy. Like, Well, you knew when Gilly was in the room too. Like he just he, – he had a presence. But he always had a – he just had a different presence of what he was going to – you never knew what he was going to put on his mask and why he was going to put it on. You know, he was a real family guy. So you'd get, you know, different links to his grandparents, uh, but then you get some random things too. Like, and you never knew what exactly he was thinking. So it was, uh, I usually stay away from the goaltenders creativity like that because it's uh, I'm not as creative as them, but I, I always would hang out and listen to what Gilly had going on. Cause uh, I was, knew I was always going to walk away with a good little chuckle or at least a little pregnant pause. Like, yeah, that's an interesting decision. So he he was definitely the most unique for me. Nice. All right. I, so. I, I, I got to say, I loved the debut of Ian Shane's new mask. Got to see that for the first time this weekend. And yeah. I, I got to say that would definitely get my vote. It's got mm-hmm. 
pretty cool artistic vibe to it. 100%. 100%. Yep. Now, we did mention hard-hitting questions. So this is the coup de grace, the ace in the hole. So what does Cornell hockey mean to you? Well, it means a, it means a, a ton. I, I think it's um, – when I think of Cornell hockey, I, I look at it almost in, in, in three pieces, to be honest with you, is mm-hmm. that um, you have the townspeople that live and breathe, you know, for Friday and Saturday nights, um, and people that are, you know, have played the game, maybe haven't played – like all, all forms of people that appreciate – and, and care um, from from the Ithaca and, and, and surrounding area, um, you know. It, and then you have the, the the alumni base and how when you talk to alums, whether it's recent grads or guys that have graduated ten plus years, twenty years, and previous, how the program has impacted them and and how um, excited they get to 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 talk about you know the present day team and, and, uh, you know, reminisce with guys that they, they played with, but, but really that camaraderie and, and, and that tightness, no matter what the age, um, the discrepancy is, you know, with, with those guys. Um, and I think the last piece of it is for me, um, is, is, is the students. I mean, um, I had a chance to, coach in, in a number of different venues and there's some really neat places throughout the country but I'll tell you what there is nothing better there is nothing better than you walking down and the band is going and the fans are you know in particular because the students are right behind you you know and they're screaming and they're waving the newspapers or they're banging on the glass and that stuff doesn't really get to me a whole lot like you kind of dialed in but I'll tell you what, there's a few times where like you hear the noise and I know our guys love it. They get juice. You can just feel it in that energy. And, and that to me takes it to, to a whole new level. Cause I've, I've never, I've never experienced at another place where there there's that same energy from, from, uh, from the students in college hockey. Wow. That was a powerful <laughs> note, I suppose. <laughs> To end on the slap shot round, but yeah. very well said, coach. Very, very well said. You know, testifying yeah. to the electricity yeah. that is the line of faithful. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> now, of course, with that, we have to give you a massive thanks, coach. So, to the listeners back home, yeah. we're just thanking so much uh, to Coach Ben Sire for joining us, for spending his time with us today. And with that being said, you know, best of luck throughout the season especially against this upcoming match against North Dakota. Well, we really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this and, uh, you know, getting our guys on here and getting an opportunity to really talk about big red hockey. It's certainly a, a great chance uh, to, to promote not just uh, uh, our team, but the game as a whole. And, and uh, really appreciate you guys taking the time here to, to chat with me this morning. Certainly really enjoyed it. Of course, Coach. It's always been our pleasure and our honor. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Coach. Well, Happy New Year to you guys and to all the listeners out there, too. Hopefully 2022 will be a good one. Yes. Yes, same to you. And mm-hmm. definitely uh, 
and enjoy well safe travels to grand forks this weekend and uh hopefully it's not too bone chilling but you know <laughs> yeah um, we'll, we'll wait and see yeah i think it's going to be a chilly one that's for sure <laughs> all right well best of luck to you coach thank you very much hey, hey thanks guys really appreciate it no take care Always great to hear from our man, Coach Ben Sire. What an eloquent man and a very interesting conversation for sure. Learned a lot about Canadian food this week. (laughs) Surprised. Yeah, I I know. I know Mike was uh, our producer, Mike Farco, going crazy in the chat when we were talking about it. He's like, yeah, I've heard of all those stuff. I'm like, yeah, of course, me, uh, us two being Americans, we're just like, what? The ketchup on mac and cheese? I don't know. It's kind of like very interesting combination. Anyways, so we got a, a big week of hockey ahead of us uh, for the Big Red. Sean, what's going on this week, man? Well, I just want to say, I think we should have an episode where we try out this Canadian food and, you know, maybe rank it or something. Yeah, yeah. Just 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 an idea of throwing it out there on the air. But oh, for yeah. next, but for this upcoming weekend, the Big Red will be traveling now 1,763 miles to Grand Forks, North Dakota to face the number five ranked team, of course, University of North Dakota, which alone is a 26-hour drive. So, I mean, that is from Arizona, from their point in Arizona. Of course, North Dakota is coming off a 2-0 loss to the U.S. National Development Team, which Cornell beat 4-2 back in October. Now, in terms of ECAC, they faced rivals Quinnipiac earlier in the season and, you know, splitting a doubleheader against them. Of course, Cornell has faced North Dakota only four times historically. So, you know, you can't say there's too much bad blood between the teams, of course, with a lack of history. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, of course, with those four, with those four face-offs, you could say uh, metaphorically, Cornell has a record of two and two against the Fighting Hawks. I mean, there was a doubleheader split in, two, in the 2008-2009 season and in the 2009-2010 season, respectively. In fact, the last time the Big Red played the Fighting Hawks, Cornell University went on to win the ECAC. So maybe this could yep. be a make-it-or-break-it sort of moment. You know, mm. Maybe I, it's an omen. Yeah, exactly. Maybe it's an omen. Maybe. Yeah. And, you know, mm. as I suppose as... I mean, I guess it's a saying. It's not only a saying that I say. <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, pressure can create diamonds, but it could also burst pipes. Yes, so, you know we could see where that takes us. Of course, this will be the highest-ranked team Cornell has played so far this season, and despite the one thousand three hundred ninety-two miles that separate Lina Rink from what's often called the Taj Mahal of hockey, expect there to be a grand attendance of Lina faithful members. I mean, to quote what you said earlier, Alex, there were more Lina faithful at ASU than ASU students themselves. So expect the same in North Dakota, home to our very own Cody Haskinen. Surely, and just summary, this will be a mouthwatering contest that tests the fortitude of Cornell's defense. I mean, statistically speaking, we, we were just discussing about how, you know, they've scored 65 goals this season, the Fighting Hawks. And on top of that, 17 of those 65 goals 
were power play goals. I mean, basically, you're you're pitting up one of the strongest power play units against arguably the best penalty kill units in the nation. Yeah, hundred so, percent. You know, expect there to be again a mouthwatering contest. North Dakota clearly boasts an offensive-minded squad, but maybe Cornell can sponge up enough offensive pressure to catch them on the counter. Yep. And and definitely a, a note on the penalty kill I and in terms of goaltending. I think that now is the time for Ian Shane to shine, either as the backup or the starter. I think he deserves a little bit more of a chance going forward to prove himself because he obviously did in – Arizona. And I think given his performance in Arizona and, and given the flexibility of the goaltending trio, I think we could see some interesting combinations in the coming weekend for sure. And I definitely like to see more from him, especially since he won ECAC goalie of the week this, uh, this week. And so that is going to be something to look forward to anyways. So a big shout out to Ben Rudoy, our stats man, for providing some info this week. And thank you all for tuning into this episode of the Big Red Hockey Cast. This has been a Big Red Sports Network production. We're so thankful. And as always, we'll see you next week after the North Dakota game. Should be a great game. Be sure to tune in. And it's going to be great. All right. We'll see you next time.